I mean, think about all the times, you know, you yourself out there did not get enough sleep and how cranky you were at work and how many mistakes you made. And you have an idea of what we're talking about. Welcome to the Medical Dads Podcast, a parenting podcast by two dads who happen to be medical doctors. I'm one of your co-hosts, Dr. Stuart Harmon, a pediatric emergency room physician and father of four from Ottawa, Ontario. I want to be in the podcast. Daddy, do you know what you're doing? Can I play a game on your computer? Daddy, what's mommy? And I'm your other co-host, Dr. David Shu, a family doctor from Toronto, Ontario. Welcome aboard. All right, Dr. Harmon, we're back for another episode of Medical Dads. That's right. And I'm excited. One might even say I'm hyper. <laughs> well, I hope you're paying attention because this is going to be a heavy dose of medicine for our audience out there. <laughs> we know how much people love it when we go into great detail with the medical topics. <laughs> yes, but today we're going to be talking about attention deficit hyperactivity disorder which is one of the modern medical issues that we face as parents, right? It's In, funny that something that uh, something would have such a long name when, when it's about people who can't pay attention to things. <laughs> like halfway through saying the name, I'm already getting bored and thinking about this stuff. Well, that's why I don't know any doctor that ever uses it by its full name. As I was saying the name out loud, I had to... I had to count the words in my head to make sure I actually knew the definition, but we really just call it ADHD or sometimes ADD, That's right? right? So, I mean, it's a common thing. And in 2021, you hear about this all the time. Like parents are talking about it at school. They talk about it when their kids aren't doing well in school. That's right. You hear about it in the news. Like there's a fair amount of controversy around this issue, around this diagnosis and around the treatment for it. You know, people talk about it being overdiagnosed. Other people talk about it being underdiagnosed. Well, I think the, it's it's a unique thing because it's a it's an illness that didn't exist, uh, you know, before we were born. You know, in mm-hmm. in our time, the uh, not to say that people didn't necessarily have ADHD before, but there was no such thing defined as ADHD until around the right. time when we were kids. So you have this, so we're in that generation of people whose parents had never heard of this thing and didn't really believe that it was, uh, that it was real. You Correct. Know? Wait, my child doesn't listen to me and doesn't behave, and you're saying they have a disease that can't <laughs> be cured with spankings? <laughs> Boulder Dash. <laughs> well, once again, that puts us into the category of old farts, right? Because right. the newer generation, the people that are born after us, grew up with the accepted knowledge that this was a condition and it should be treated like any other condition. So that's one of the conflicts that we run into is, you know, when we're dealing with patients who are often younger than us <laughs> and asking about these issues is we come from completely different cultural backgrounds when it comes to this. Yeah. I remember when I was in my training and, you know, ADHD was something still somewhat newish, right? Not, mm-hmm. not universally accepted that anybody's born into a world where, where it's a given that exists. I remember, uh, I was on rounds on a, a neonatal intensive care unit rotation. So, you know, we were talking about babies who are, who are premature, that type of thing. Uh, certainly, there's no role for discussion of ADHD in that setting. Uh, <laughs> however, as we were talking around, conversationally, the idea of ADHD came up. And then uh, the staff that I was working with said something along the lines of, uh, you know, ADHD... Uh, that's preposterous, or like that—the whole idea is ridiculous. And then I was sort of joking along and saying, like, I don't think it really even exists. 
Uh, <laughs> and then one of the nurses, who wasn't part of the conversation, but who was just there, I guess had a very personal story of her child having ADHD and a very long journey to get people to take it seriously and to get him help, and now mm. sees a big difference in him than before. Uh, and she lost it. She went bananas. She was That, that was a very <laughs> difficult rotation after that. <laughs> she can imagine if, if you don't get in good with the nurses on a, on a rotation as a medical student, you are in some trouble. <laughs> I mean, I had a similar type of experience. Not that the doctor I was working with put it down, but this was back when I was a resident. Yeah. I was in the doctor's office, in a pediatrician's office, and the mother came in with a baby, and the baby was around age two. So already at that age, they were mobile, and they just couldn't get out of the, anything in the office. Like they were, they were into like the drawer. They were touching the doctor's st- things. Yeah. As we're trying to conduct the interview, the kid is crawling around, you know, poking at the windowsill, you know, causing a lot of physical damage. And yeah. when the kid left, the doctor turns to me. He's like, "You know what that is?" And I, I'm like the resident. I, I'm like a kid whose parents aren't parenting that well. He's like, "No, no this this kid's gonna have ADHD. We just." don't diagnose it at this age, right? But you watch two or three years from now, you're going to see it. I was like, I I mean, to this day, I don't know if that's true, right? But, and I have seen in my office, there are kids who are very active. There are kids who rightfully should owe me money when they become adults for all the chip paint that I have to repair <laughs> on account of them terrorizing the, the building itself. But I'm not sure that that actually leads to ADHD. And, and that is one of the things about it is that you cannot diagnose it at such an early age. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. Uh, the symptoms that you describe with ADHD, right, the, the, the things you need to have to qualify as having ADHD are only abnormal at a certain stage of development. So mm-hmm. uh, it's normal for you know very small kids to have a lot of energy uh, to not follow instructions. That's appropriate for the developmental stage that they're at. Mm-hmm. And so I would agree that uh, it's a bit dangerous to pre-label somebody as, oh yeah, this person's going to have ADHD. You know, it's kind of like saying, you know, I have, a, I have a two-year-old who doesn't know how to do calculus yet and sort of mm-hmm. labeling them as like, yeah, yeah no, that kid's not going to be a, a mathematician. Impossible. Because <laughs> look at him. He already doesn't know calculus. Right. So this is where we get into a, some of the problems with ADHD is that the criteria that we use to determine whether a child has it or not are kind of soft criteria, right? They're kind of subjective. Like, you, they're, you know, we'll go through it, right? There's this list of symptoms, yeah. and if you have enough of them, then you have the diagnosis. But whether you have them or not is sometimes kind of arbitrary. You know, it, it's one of those things that's like, depends on which parent you ask, you get a slightly different answer. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh it's almost like a syndrome, right? As opposed to a medical condition that you can diagnose with mm-hmm. blood work or a specific test. Uh, right. It's a criteria that we set out. And so whether or not you meet the criteria is somewhat subjective because we as physicians in our office can't observe it and say, oh yes, because of this and this, that's ADHD. To diagnose it properly, usually you have families filling in questionnaires and observing behavior over a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. Which which as is the case with any parent that any parent that listens to this show can attest, I can answer the questions whichever way I want to get the answer that I want. Right? <laughs> right. If I feel like my child needs extra help and the way they can get extra help is to get a diagnosis, then I can guide the answer along those lines. If, if the same questionnaire could potentially yield like, you know, something harmful done to my child, oh, those answers are changing real quick. <laughs> well, that's actually one of the interesting things uh, about making the diagnosis of ADHD so by definition, it has to be occurring in two, com- two different uh, settings. Mm-hmm. So 
uh, you do sometimes have the parents who are you know, bringing in this form completed where, you know, okay, yeah, your child clearly is some kind of crazy berserk monster. They need help immediately. Uh, but when the teachers fill in their questionnaire, uh, you're looking at it saying, well, that, well, according to this, the t- kid does not have ADHD because <laughs> this problem is only apparently happening at home. Right. And vice versa, where the school is the one convinced the child has ADHD and the parents are saying, but at home, I don't have any of these problems. Hmm. So let's get into the medicine a little bit then. What is ADHD? We've been talking about this. What's the, what are these magical criteria that people need to like be aware of? Yeah, that, that's a good point. You know, I think people have this idea that if a child is berserk or annoying, then that's what ADHD is. Mm-hmm. But I mean, very broadly speaking, uh, there's sort of three types of ADHD when you talk about having ADHD. There's ADHD where the symptoms are predominantly related to being inattentive. You know, so that right. kid may actually not be berserk, causing trouble, tipping desks over, any of that kind of stuff. They mm-hmm. may just be sitting in class, but totally not paying attention to anything that's going on. But if they're just staring off into space or like re- lost in their own thoughts, that they completely get missed and nobody realizes that that's a type of ADHD. Right. Right. So there's the predominantly inattentive type. There's the predominantly hyperactive type, which I think is the more what people are familiar with with ADHD. The mm-hmm. kids who can't sit still, fidgeting, uh, they're getting into trouble because they just get up and do what they feel like and they have too much energy. Right. Or at least that's the perception. And then the third sort of category is the, is the mix type where you have more or less an even mix of both of those type of symptoms. Mm-hmm. So that's like, just broadly speaking, if someone says, well, what does it really mean to have ADHD? You could say, well, it means that the person's having either a lot of trouble with paying attention uh, or the person's having a lot of trouble with, you know, being hyperactive physically uh, or a mix of both. Now, let's start with the inattention, because that's the first one. Okay. What are some of these questions that you would ask a parent if they're starting to think about whether their child belongs in that group? Well, the, the way we define it in North America, because again, these criteria are a bit arbitrary, and so they're not necessarily the same uh, everywhere in the world, just because different uh, sort of, mm. say, authorities uh, in different regions will be the ones to make the criteria. Uh, but in North America, we use something called the uh, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, right? the, DS, the DSM. And there's all these different editions. I think we're on DSM-5 now. But anyway, uh, uh, with the North American one, there's like six, uh, you have to have six features out of a list of things uh, uh, to qualify as inattentive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, things like they... Don't pay attention to details. So you have a kid who in school is always making careless mistakes. They're mm-hmm. getting things wrong, not because they don't understand the material, but they, they're not capitalizing the letters. Uh, mm-hmm. They're skipping words. Uh, they're writing words wrong, even though they know how to spell them properly because they're just being careless. So you can imagine how subjective that can be and how important it is to make sure you're using <laughs> an age-appropriate uh, level of expectation. Um, there's kids having difficulty sustaining attention to a task. So they set out to do something and it could be even something like a play activity. They set out to try to make something out of Lego, but mm-hmm. they don't have enough attention to make, to finish what they start. Right. Um, they don't listen or they are perceived as not listening to what's being said. They don't follow through on instructions. So you explain to them, do something like go upstairs, get this, make your bed and then come back downstairs. And they can't follow through on that three, three steps of instruction because they just like, get lost somewhere in the middle there. Mm-hmm. Uh, difficulty organizing tasks. So if they want to plan something, like uh, you, know, you give them an assignment to do and they don't have the organizational skills to even plan and start the activity. 
there's a few others. I don't know if you want me to go through like the entire list, but you kind of get a, a sense. Maybe not, but as you've gone through it, I'm taking off in my brain that I think I met every one of these criteria during my time at Queens Medical School. <laughs> <laughs> like complete inattention. I remember one time sitting in the back row having no idea what the professor had been talking about for like a good 30 minutes. And then he decides to ask me a question, right? So then I had to make up an answer that was obviously wrong on the spot. Yeah. I mean, this was, I mean, that's the problem with this diagnosis is that, you know, sometimes people just aren't learning for some reason and you could easily meet most of those criteria just based on the on, on the basis of not paying close attention in class right you're not interested in the material you're not learning you're daydreaming whatever it is and boom you meet almost all the criteria already well if we were actually having this uh, discussion in medical school and you're truly concerned then we could go through the questionnaire and i think yeah <laughs> based on what you do in class definitely this guy has adhd but then when it has to be replicated in more than one setting well, let's see, when we were hanging out on Saturday morning watching cartoons, didn't seem to have any difficulty with any of those problems. Well, that is that is the thing. The parents always tell you, my kid can watch TV for hours. They're really focused on TV. Yeah. Oh, well, then but, obviously they don't have a problem. <laughs> well, that's the. this is one of the issues, right? So oftentimes school is where the issue presents itself. When I start talking to parents like, well, where's the other category of place where the issue presents itself? A lot of times, you know, if your child is, you know, not doing a lot of sit down at a table type activities at home, you may not notice the inattention, right? Yeah. A lot of parents are shuttling their kids to and from classes. If you're doing a lot of classes like hockey and basketball, you may not see the inattention, right? Because they don't appear. They, they need to appear in like a quiet setting, like piano lessons or something where you have to really, really get the kid into some sort of discipline, like medical school. <laughs> well, that's that's why I would definitely recommend against people trying to self-diagnose their child as having ADHD. You know, mm -hmm. the things that we're talking about today could maybe give people clues to say, oh, yeah, I wonder if, you know, based on what I heard on that podcast and now what I'm looking at at my child, yeah, I think maybe I need to go to my doctor and have them assessed for ADHD. But mm -hmm. for people to sort of say, yeah, yeah, my kid, they, uh, they don't pay attention at home and at school. They must have ADHD. It's, it's not the right way to do it. When you're actually being assessed, the doctor gives you a very detailed questionnaire and mm -hmm. instructions to prospectively make observations, like to not just think back, but to watch going forward, uh, to take mm -hmm. notes of things, to help people figure out, oh, yeah, am I missing it? Because at home, they aren't actually challenged that much. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think with the proper tools, people won't have so much trouble figuring out, like, yeah, at home, am I missing it? I, I don't think you have to worry that... Ah, uh, yeah, because I don't put my kid in enough stress, strenuous activities at home or enough mentally challenging things at home that I'm missing the ADHD that's showing up at school. So inattention is the first category. Yeah. To me, that's the one that's the hardest to pin down because you don't see it as obviously, right? Yeah. And a lot of times as a parent, you're kind of sitting there thinking, well, maybe my child is a C student. That's, you know, that's where they are. And it's not an inattention problem. It's maybe it's just an academic performance issue, right? <laughs> yeah. And whereas the other categories are categories you can see a little bit more clearly, you know, like the hyperactivity for sure. You know, you mentioned that we've all heard about it. We've seen it talked about, you yeah. know, that's the kid that can't sit still. It's running around. It's very in your face. Yeah. Right? Um, right. So that one we don't tend to miss. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Boys, uh, the sort of statistics would say that boys, depending on the numbers you're looking at, have something like a five to one ratio uh, as children of having ADHD compared right. to girls. Um, right. And the majority of girls have the inattentive type, whereas the mm -hmm. majority of boys have uh, a, a hyperactivity component to it. 
And so mm -hmm. it just makes you wonder, is the reason the ratio is five to one because the boys are getting recognized and the girls are getting missed because their inattentiveness is not mm -hmm. making the same type of trouble that the hyperactivity is making? Mm -hmm. This is where actually we run into one of the questions about the diagnosis, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's this whole idea that maybe we're teaching children the wrong way. By and large, most of the time when ADHD is brought to the attention of a parent or a doctor, it's because of schooling, right? right? We live in a society where children are expected at age four to go to school for the next 20 years of their life or at least 15 years or so, right? Yeah. And that was not always the case historically, right? We, you know, this is byproduct of the 21st century, you know? Right. In the olden days, some children went to school for a couple of years or not at all, and then went out to work, yeah. right? And schooling means learning to sit at a desk quietly, yeah. following instructions when they're given to you, and getting things done, you know, with purpose, on time, and accurately. Some people are not made to do that. Moreover, some people are not built to do that at a certain age, but they yeah. might be able to do that as they mature. So there's this whole argument that says that maybe we're teaching children the wrong way, and that some kids, yeah, they're you know relatively a little bit more hyper than other children, but when we try to put all these you know round circles into these square peg boxes, yeah. you're going to end up diagnosing a massive amount of people, a.k.a. boys, right, <laughs> with hyperactivity because they are not sitting still. Well, maybe at age four they're not sitting still, but at age six they could be. You know, that's one right. of the arguments. Well, I think that ties into those stories of parents not realizing or thinking there's a problem that would make them think of ADHD, but then the school insisting, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we think your child has ADHD. Mm -hmm. um, because I don't think that at home we are, have higher expectations or are more strict of our kids than we, I think we, we're probably more lax than ever with the way we treat our kids at home. Uh, so I don't know if we're seeing a bunch of these things where it's in both settings clear that the child has ADHD and it's because our expectations are too high. But certainly mm -hmm. there's a lot more of this push from schools to say, oh yeah, yeah, no, no, we think it's ADHD because we're having a hard time managing a child's behavior. And then right. the parent's like, well, it's not matching with what we're seeing at home. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting uh, that idea of is there some kind of cultural thing that makes us perceive ADHD more or less. Uh, another interesting statistic, uh, in the U.S., the numbers would suggest that the number of kids diagnosed with ADHD is somewhere between, uh, uh, between 8% and 10%. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, uh, in the U.K., it's something like 1%. Mm. So why are we diagnosing it 10 times more often in the United States than we are in the U.K.? Mm -hmm. Well, there's a few different theories, and they, like I was saying at the beginning, we have different criteria, right? So uh, we use this DSM criteria. They have a whole other body that sort of set out their guidelines. So that their criteria are probably stricter than the criteria we use. You know, our, our things, our criteria would involve for the inattentive type that the child often loses things <laughs> necessary for tasks, like mm -hmm. pencils, books, to tools, toys. My kids are losing things constantly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but another possibility is that the, the, the school system in the, in the United Kingdom is way more strict, and the expectations of kids there are much higher. Those kids are expected <laughs> to be reading when our kids are still talking about identifying colors and letters. <laughs> um, so is it that our expectations here are too high and we're diagnosing it more, or is it that the expectations to the kids aren't actually firm and clear, and so that leaves more leeway for all this behavior that we are now saying, like, well, that looks like ADHD. I think one thing that happens in society is that as certain diagnoses gain traction, right, we start looking for that diagnosis more, 
right? Yeah. And especially if that diagnosis achieves certain secondary goals for whoever gets the illness. You know, there yeah. was a study I saw about how many years ago in Australia, they officially made a diagnosis called repetitive motion syndrome or something okay. where which is where a person working in a factory if they're doing the same motion with their arm over and over throughout the course of the day uh-huh. you know they can get arm pain prior to the, that diagnosis existing they would just call it this is a muscle strain you know it's tendonitis but at some point they actually gave it an actual term called repetitive motion syndrome and next thing you know, the number of people with this diagnosis taking time off work and getting disability benefits yeah. skyrockets <laughs> to the point that at some point they removed this for, as being an official diagnosis. Oh, really? Right? And then the issue kind of went down, like sick days went down again. Yeah. A whole generation of high school boys <laughs> having to take time off. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's one of these things where sometimes by calling it something, we are you know, giving people more room to to accept that they have this thing, which they might not in a different culture, right? For better or for worse. Yeah. Uh, now, we should temper that with, uh, with making it clear to our audience that there are kids who have, a, and adults, who have a legitimate problem with attention and hyperactivity. Uh, uh, and that, it, it actually hugely impacts their quality of life. Yes. And there are actual interventions that can be done Right. Uh, to to help those kids and to make their life better, right. so we're not we're not meaning to completely like uh, poo poo and tear up the idea right. of ADHD as a as a as an illness. But there's this other category of people who are kind of more in the gray zone, right? They don't really meet the full criteria necessarily, but because of the culture, because of their own expectations for themselves, because maybe they're disappointed in how they've performed in certain things over time they take on the sick role of being an ADHD patient and they may benefit from the medication too, but they exist in this gray role in this gray zone where it's not as clear who actually has the condition and who doesn't and what is an actual medical condition and what is not. Yeah. You know, I think our, our perspective of physicians, you know, really allows us to say we see patients who actually have a true diagnosis of ADHD, but we also see all the pitfalls or a lot of the pitfalls that, families fall into on that pathway to try to get their child diagnosed or try to get help for their kid who's either struggling in school or getting into trouble often. Mm-hmm. And maybe that should segue into the next part of, of talking about, so you think your child might have ADHD. What are some of the things that we could actually be missing, which would be other explanations for the behavior that you're seeing that could be just as important to identify that mm-hmm. we often see mislabeled as ADHD? Well, the first one that jumps to mind is like, just your regular lifestyle. Like, are you getting enough sleep? You know, are you having a balanced lifestyle? We've talked about this in the past. Long-time listeners will know that Dr. Shu is very into making sure people get enough sleep. <laughs> so if, the, if children, especially small children, don't sleep enough, they're, like you've said many times on the show, their behavior is very similar to people with ADHD. They can't focus. They can't sit still. Yeah. I mean, think about all the times, you know, you yourself out there did not get enough sleep and how cranky you were at work and how many mistakes you made. And yeah. you have an idea of what we're talking about. Yeah. I mean, uh, a lot of uh, the theories around ADHD involve the f- sort of frontal, prefrontal area of the brain not doing its job to help you slow down and uh, think through decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and not uh, and 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 being disinhibited, and when you think right. about what happens when you're sleep deprived, well, that's exactly what's happening when you're sleep deprived, right? Right. Your 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 brain is just not slowing down and making decisions. Interestingly, the 
you know, the, I, mean, I think we talked about this before, but the, a lot of the treatments around ADHD from a medication point of view uh, are things that are neurostimulators, right? As if the brain is actually having this problem where the neurotransmitters aren't moving or being uh, functioning fast enough. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's like the brain is kind of tired in some ways when you have ADHD. And uh, that's why you see when kids are sleep deprived, they also, you know, you think, well, they don't have enough sleep. Why are they going berserk and acting hyper? Shouldn't they just be sleeping? Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, it really ties into what you're saying about sleep deprivation, deprivation being probably one of the things that mimics ADHD that we overlook. Right. What other things come to mind? Well, from the point of view, these kids are often identified at school because they are not doing well in school. You know, that mm -hmm. C student uh, and everyone's perceiving, oh, well, it's because they aren't paying attention. They got ADHD. Sometimes it, it's this, they have a learning disorder or right. an intellectual like, delay. And so, yeah, they can't keep up with what's going on in school, so they don't pay attention and they act out because yeah. they're bored. Likewise, you've got those kids who it's not that they um, have an intellectual disability or a learning disorder, but they may have something as simple as they're not hearing well, uh, mm -hmm. so they're missing what's being said in class, and then, they, then they're falling behind and then they're having problems. Uh, kids could just simply be having anxiety, you know? We're seeing a lot more of anxiety these days as all the usual coping mechanisms people would employ are like prohibited. Right. Um, and so, of course, you're going to have kids uh, acting out, not paying attention, being forgetful. Uh, and that's not necessarily because they're not paying attention because they can't so much as they're paying not paying attention because they're preoccupied by the things that they're anxious about. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the features of depression would also mimic uh, having ADHD. And sometimes people would think, well, if they're depressed, then they're going to be slow moving and morose. They're going to be like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. But uh, not everybody's like that. You know, kids especially, if they're depressed or if they are anxious, they may act like more like a tigger bouncing around uh, than like an Eeyore. <laughs> Another one, actually, that uh, is easy to overlook or easy to look the other way on, especially if we're talking about ADHD seemingly getting worse in teenagers, uh, is substance abuse. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, substance abuse could be something simple as like they're drinking way too much caffeine and coffee, but substance abuse in the sense that they're smoking marijuana, uh, uh, it's very easy for, for parents to kind of overlook that, uh, just sort of blame that, oh yeah, you know, they always, they, we had ADHD diagnosed years ago. So the reason they're starting to fail high school now is just because the work's getting harder and it makes it, and their ADHD, they can't manage it. Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes even when the parents f sort of clue into the idea that, oh, yeah, my kid smokes a, smokes a fair amount of marijuana, the, often the instinct is to assume like, oh, it, you know, it's because they're self-medicating their ADHD. This is the mm -hmm. only thing that helps them sort of focus or not feel hyper. Uh, but oftentimes it's the other way around. You know, it's the, the chicken and the egg are in a different order. So, I mean, one of the problems I have with ADHD oftentimes is when dealing with these older children so the teenagers or the adults because it's becoming more and more fashionable for adults to come in saying you know what i think i have adhd right and some so of as them as a byproduct of my gluten insensitivity is that what you're saying <laughs> as a byproduct of the 21st century right of as a byproduct of google right yeah. <laughs> i mean everyone knows that there's conditions out there and then at some point in your life you look back and think you know what can i be better than what i am today like all those right. tests i didn't do so well on in yeah. high school you know, all those times I zoned out when I could have been working harder, maybe yeah. it was all a condition. And, you know, a fair number of these come through the office. Yeah. And one of the issues is 
you you really have to try to tease out you know is the adhd something that's been present for many many years because in theory if you have it you should have had it since childhood it's not really an issue that suddenly appears in the middle of your working life you know if 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 at some point later in life you start to get these new symptoms you really have to look more closely at the differential diagnosis and think you know is it the substance abuse is it the some sleep deprivation is there some other reason for it yeah that's a good point you know we talked about that uh, the the difference in the ratio of boys to girls with ADHD. Uh, interestingly, although the ratio is skewed more towards boys as children, uh, by the time you reach adulthood, it seems to be about one to one. Mm. I also was reading uh, uh, like a sort of paper on ADHD where they talked about how in the U.S. there's this enormous number of adults who come forward sort of saying they yeah that they have ADHD, but uh, when they actually uh, say okay, well let's do a formal assessment. About 90% of the cases, 90-95% of the adults who initially think they have ADHD, uh, turn out that they don't have ADHD. Uh, it's another condition. And substance right. use is actually like right at the top of that list. Hmm. So it's a lot of adults going around think they have ADHD, and it's really like, no, maybe you should just stop using wine to fall asleep at night every day. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the treatment then, you know, just to give people like full circle loop on this condition. Yeah. So one of the things that, you know, you talked to me about before we started the episode is that try to really hammer home some behavioral interventions, even if you are diagnosed with ADHD, that's right. not, not necessarily mean you need to jump on board and start taking long-term medications, which is what most people are thinking about when we talk about ADHD. You know, we mostly think about, okay, that means Adderall or Concerta right. for X number of years. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the behavioral psychotherapy uh, uh, is for kids the sort of first step usually in management for ADHD. Now it's it's beyond our mm. like scope of practice to really try to describe to people. Oh, here's how you do behavioral psychotherapy with your child at home. Uh, but the it's idea beyond the scope is, of most people's pocketbooks to be able to do this. Quite honestly, <laughs> uh, yeah. I guess if you're talking about hiring some kind of personal therapist for this type of thing, mm. but. Uh, I mean, there are, you know, if your doctor is diagnosing you with ADHD, then usually they, they would then also be able to help set you up with resources for here's how you would start the, uh, you know, here's things you can be doing at home without needing to have a, a psychoeducational mm -hmm. therapist in your house with you all the time. But the idea is really about um, like strategies for kids to help focus their attention and to help redirect themselves when they're feeling distracted. Right. I mean, you would probably be... Like if you had a patient with ADHD in your in your family practice, would you normally refer them to a pediatrician and that would go from there, or uh, do you do you manage this yourself? It depends on the scenario. So if you have a young patient, you know, like if you're trying to make that diagnosis for the first time in like a four year old or a five year old, oftentimes I'll refer them to a pediatrician in the community who has seen you know hundreds of these cases over the years and let them weigh in on whether they think the child has it or not. Yeah. Right. If it's an older child or a teen, it's a little different. You know, at that point, you know, you know, there are a fair number of university age students that come back. They're actually beyond the age group that most pediatricians will see. Right. So a lot of these will manage in the office, yeah. right? If any of them are kind of in the gray zone or have the means, I usually will recommend that they actually do, you know, formal psychological testing right. with the, through a psychologist. Yeah. They'll have like a whole battery of these questionnaires, much more involved and in-depth. 
and much more well remunerated re than the family doctor's <laughs> test. Yeah. And then they'll go through stuff with them and you know break down whether they actually have it or not. Yeah. Right. Um, so I find doing some of these things gives us at least the peace of mind that say, okay, now you have a concrete diagnosis. This isn't just something you know you and I cooked up with on Google. Yeah. Right. And are now trying to optimize. Yeah. So that's my general approach when it comes to like sending people out. I know that I know that adults they do like cognitive therapy, which is a little bit different than the type of sort of uh, parental behavioral interventions that you do for kids and the classroom mm. management sort of strategies that they teach for kids. But uh, mm. yeah, I understand with adults, it's also you know the first step is usually trying to do non-pharmacological things. But you know, I think after age four, you know, kids younger than age four, definitely you would not be using medications first line. As you start to get older than that, then medication starts to become more. Uh, mm. potentially necessary or more practical. Right. But, uh, yeah, these, uh, the adults who are sort of self-diagnosing themselves and then coming straight to saying, like, well, yeah, what I need to be doing is taking, uh, you know, Concerta or that type of thing. Uh, and I need to be taking it at three times the dose that it's uh, not prescribed at. So you start to get into the weeds. One of the, there's, so there's a couple other little nit, little, there's a couple of little other points about ADHD that I thought might be worth bantering about because they're they're interesting to me okay. i read once that there was a study that said that the month of the year that you're born in affects the likelihood that you'll get diagnosed with adhd so that children who are born in january and february much less likely to be diagnosed than children born in december right it's because they're older when they start school yeah yeah so they're they're basically a year older yeah. than the youngest kids they're half a year older than the average kid yeah. And then the logic of it is that, you know, at age four or at age six, that six months difference, you know, you've been alive six months longer than the average kid yeah. is a huge difference. Yeah. Right. And if you factor that with the gender, you know, uh, imbalance in terms of how our brains develop, like, you know, it's, it's well recognized that girls develop a lot of skills like academic skills faster than boys. Right. So. You know, you couple that with the fact that some of these boys are born at the end of the year. They're not only six months behind, they're also they're almost a year and a half behind if you factor in the gender gap, yeah. right? So there are school boards now that are saying boys who are like, actually, this is in Toronto, boys or girls, anyone born in December that you're as a parent feel like they are better off waiting another year to start school. Yeah. They're encouraged to, to stay that extra year and not go to school at age four. They can start school at age five, Yeah. right? And it's a reasonable thing because this whole idea that all of us need to develop at the same rate is just completely untrue, right? And that even within the plus or minus of within a 12-month period, some children develop faster than that by a lot and some children develop slower than that by a bit. And those are okay. We don't need to necessarily label everyone. But there was this study that showed this. And there was, a, there was an, another popular study that's very similar that showed that like, uh, it was in a Malcolm Gladwell book about how yeah, yeah. hockey players who make it to the pros, their birthdays tend to be earlier, right? They tend to be a lot of January and February kids that end up becoming professional because all their life, they're bigger than everyone else around them. So they play with this comparative advantage for many years, which gives them an edge over time. Right, so right. it's interesting how these things work. David and Goliath, that's the, uh, that's the Malcolm Gladwell book you're talking about. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, it's it's things like this that make me kind of leery of this diagnosis. You know, like if you tell me the month that you're born in affects how likely you are to have this clinical condition, it starts to sound a lot like hogwash. Well, again, it's uh, that's only telling you how likely someone is to be diagnosed with it. That doesn't tell you who's likely to actually have it is the thing. Right. right. And, that, and that we right. know that this is something that is often 
given that label without actually being properly diagnosed. But to, to truly have right. ADHD, in addition to the sort of what we were saying, you have to have six out of a list of features of inattentiveness, six out of a, a list of features for hyperactivity. But it also is with the caveat that, you know, this is, should be something that's onset before age 12. This is something that should actually be impairing your function. So, mm -hmm. you know, a kid who is uh, annoying <laughs> is not the same thing as a person who, is, who actually cannot keep up and is not functioning as failing glasses. <laughs> Although those two things run in parallel often, that's true. I'm sure your your wife's the teacher. I'm sure you can ask her for her opinion on that. Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, people like you said, people do mature at different rates, and that factors in. And people d d mm -hmm. mature at different ways at different rates. Like you know, like cognitively, I am somebody, however many decades out of med school, um, but emotionally, I'm the equivalent of somebody in about grade five or six. <laughs> and I should be judged based on that, not on uh, an arbitrary uh, level of maturity I should have based on the fact that yes, I'm 43. Yes, we will get there in our in, in when we do global developmental delay, <laughs> just for you in the next episode. <laughs> Adult onset developmental delay or regression, perhaps. The the other issue that I that I have with this condition sometimes is the the role of the school, because as we've talked about. This condition comes up often in the context of a child not doing well in school. Yeah. And sometimes I wonder if it's a byproduct of our school system, right? We're sticking kids in classrooms that are underfunded with limited resources. You get one teacher with 40 kids. Yeah. And of course, some of the kids aren't paying close attention. Would they be paying closer attention if they had one-on-one -on -one instruction or you know one teacher to five student instruction yeah right would the outcome be different and i'm i'd venture guess to say that in most cases they would be yeah right but that system doesn't exist for many for many families yeah you know but it makes me wonder are we creating the problem somewhat as a society you know by underfunding education and 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 driving people into these square pegs that they don't fit in yeah there really is something to that right this idea that so it's only a disease if, I mean, this is the problem or the difficulty with all psychiatric diagnoses, right? Because the cri criteria are arbitrary as opposed to being based on some kind of blood test or other marker that we can, we can observe. Mm. But yeah, the, the definition is somewhat arbitrary and the definition includes the fact that you can't function in the setting that you're in. Um, mm -hmm. So of course that's a spectrum. Then two people could have the exact same problems or the exact same behavior, but if they're in different environments and one environment is more accommodating that behavior than the other, suddenly one person meets the diagnosis and the other person does not. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, you know that that idea of saying like, well, okay, well, if we're not treating it with pharmacological interventions and we're starting with behavioral interventions, then it does mean that like, all right, well, let's just say we're all wrong and that there is no disease per se that this person has, but they aren't functioning in the setting we want them to function in, and there's simple behavioral things that they can train themselves to do that will allow them to be more successful, then does it even mm -hmm. really matter if, uh, you know, if our arbitrary definition is accurate enough? Well, and therein lies the true question about this, actually, because it gets into this bigger picture question about medication and drugs and whether it matters or not, if because if success is the only barometer, right? It's like, well, you know, is an athlete justified in using, you know, substances to get faster and jump higher than the other athlete he's competing against, right. right? It's a similar thing to that, right? Like right now we're talking about ADHD, but 
you know, a few years from now, we could be talking about a medication that just gets you better grades, right? Yeah. Allows you to sit down, study longer than the person next to you. You don't need a diagnosis for it, yeah. right? Is it okay to use such a thing, yeah. right? That's kind of the gray zone where this issue touches on, right? We haven't really talked about it till now, but but it is there. And I feel like a lot of the adults who come in with this diet or question, you know, asking, you know, do I have this condition? Could I be more successful? This is what really they're asking. Yeah. So if I'm understanding you right, what you're advocating for is a, like a, an Olympics just for people with ADHD. <laughs> I'm not advocating anything. I'm just saying that when Ben Johnson got that gold medal taken away from him, I was like in grade, I think I was in grade four that year. Yeah. It was extremely upsetting. <laughs> All right, I'll tell you that, right? It's a complicated world we live in, right? We want everyone to be successful, yeah. right? But at the same time, you know, is, it, is there a right way to get there? Is there a wrong way to get there? Does it matter, yeah. you know? Is it, if, obviously, if the way of getting there is harmful to you, yeah. you know, it's going to kill you, <laughs> we'd think that's, that's, that's not cool. But these medications are not things that are going to kill you most yeah. likely, right? And you, you'll you find people out there who are okay with it. There are people who said, if I could win an Olympic gold medal or be the champion at my sport, I'm willing to take 30 years off the end of my life if I can achieve that, yeah. right? So you'll see people with a completely different mindset, right? Some people will be willing to make a bargain like that. Yeah. And other people absolutely won't. And this is where you know our society has to sort of figure things out as these issues will become more and more prevalent over time as the technology you know, facilitates treatment of these types of conditions. Yeah. But I, I really, I'll, I real, real bring it back to that idea that, you know, we can really separate a lot of the noise, a lot of the background from the people who really, truly should be treated uh, as having a, like a disease with a label um, by having a proper assessment where we are actually finding <laughs> these symptoms in two spheres. Right, because so, we're really focusing a lot on like these people who have success at school, success in that setting. Um, yes. But you know, some of the parents who end up in the emergency department are parents who mm -hmm. are you know trying to prove to me like just how out of control their child is, uh, mm. showing me, well, look, this is where they bit me. Uh, this is a photograph of the TV they smashed. Uh, this is. Uh, you know, a psychoeducational assessment that I privately paid to have done. Look, doctor, I, I know this is not your typical emergency department emergency, but I am in this much distress. You need to get me help right away. So, you know, there really are kids uh, who have a problem that, you know, mm -hmm. we currently label and treat as ADHD who need intervention and need help. Absolutely. Yeah, but they should be getting that. They like it should actually be done systematically and properly to make the right diagnosis and to make sure right. we're not missing other things that could be causing that destructive behavior. Right. And and ultimately, because it's such a broad thing, we should just think of the medication as one tool out of several that we can use to try to improve the person's situation. Yes, exactly. Right. Rather than being, you know, this is it. I just want the medication. Yeah. Right. It's. Like, I think we should think about this in a more holistic manner. Yeah, I agree. Well, one last sort of area that I'll, I'll, uh, I'll touch on with you. People sometimes want to know, well, why does my kid have ADHD? You know, what, mm. what happened to give them ADHD? If we're saying it's an <laughs> abnormality, then why does my kid have it? So what, what, are the, what if the family asks you, is it something that, is it because they're eating too much of something or not eating enough of something? <laughs> That's actually commonly asked, yeah. right? So 
And there is there is some material on elimination diets as a treatment for ADHD, yeah. apparently. Well, you know, with the current body of literature that we have, there is nothing to suggest that ADHD is specifically linked to any particular food eaten after mm-hmm. birth. Uh, and specifically, mm-hmm. sugar has been very well studied, and there is no link between sugar and the and a true diagnosis of ADHD. Mm. But there is something to suggest that like in utero exposures, things that the baby might be exposed to in utero could affect the likelihood of them having ADHD afterwards. But I don't know mm. too much about any specific foods to say, oh, pregnant mothers avoid this or that, so much as, you know, don't smoke. <laughs> don't smoke, don't use drugs, you know, don't avoid alcohol, the sort of obvious things. How about television? Is like excessive viewing of television considered a risk factor? Uh, Strictly speaking, no, there isn't really something to, like a good body of evidence to say that watching television causes ADHD. Uh, but that said, I was uh, at a lecture once by this um, like uh, neuropsychiatrist from the United States who came to talk to our, our group. And he had some interesting, uh, not clinical data to sort of say, look, in a study, we did this to kids and that, and it, uh, we measured this outcome. But things where they're doing, like measuring activity in the brain. And there was some stuff to suggest that uh, watching a screen for an extended period of time, or actually even for a relatively short period of time, like you know, 30 minutes, uh, does make changes in the brain that you would associate with having more trouble focusing. Um, mm. And that uh, that's like playing video games, for example. Uh, now, I don't know, he didn't go into good detail about specifically which video games, but was broadly speaking that you play video games and then your ability to properly focus is affected for like a couple of days afterwards. Um, mm. uh, or conversely, going for a walk in nature, uh, where you're looking at a, sort of a bigger horizon, um, somehow is associated with improvement in those changes. So, you know, stay <laughs> tuned. Maybe we will have some very concrete uh, proof at some point that television truly rots your brain. Yeah, there's no evidence for this, but intuitively, it makes sense to most of us that you know the way we use computers, like how we multitask you know we have a zoom window open while we listen to music while we're trying to do our homework assignments that all these things lead to inattention yeah right and poor performance right yeah so actually one of the growing understandings is that this whole idea of multitasking which was popular when you and i went through school is now kind of frowned upon right they actually try to teach young people not to multitask anymore because they found that performance is actually worse yeah, if you've got five tasks to do, if you focus on each one in sequence and do it properly, you'll have better results than if you are truly yeah. trying to go back and forth between the tasks. <laughs> that explains a lot about my college and university and medical <laughs> school of performance. I had multiple windows open at all times in case anyone wanted to message me at all times a day and <laughs> while burning MP3s onto CD for my ultimate MP3 collection in the background endlessly. It's a miracle I got through school. My biggest problem wasn't so much uh, multitasking uh, as non-tasking. <laughs> <laughs> Untasking, perhaps. Uh. All right. I mean, I, I hope that people found our discussion about ADHD entertaining and that they learned something from it. It's a very complicated issue. And I don't know if we did it full justice, but I think we touched on some of the salient points that, you know, any parent that wants to know a little bit more about this condition, you know, there's a wealth of information out there. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. We we absolutely did not do this uh, this complex and broad topic justice, but at least we uh, maybe made a few salient points and put people in a frame <laughs> of mind to think that, all right, if my child is struggling at school, I should get them assessed for ADHD. Yes. Yeah. It's very complicated. It's not something you can really decide, you know, 
from looking at a website or filling in some check boxes. You really have to think through, you know, the entirety of the child's life and how they're functioning in different realms and ask different people that are involved in the child's life what they think. You know, ask the teachers, talk to their instructors in various activities and get a sense of it that way rather than just saying, oh, well, they're really driving me nuts at home. They must have this condition. Yeah. Although if you do need to do a, just a quick and dirty screen, you can have your child listen to one of our podcasts. And if they make it through to the end, then they're a normal, healthy, well-functioning child. And if they don't seem to make it through to the end, then, then you probably need to have them checked out. I think you mean a well-functioning adult is, or well-functioning parent is the one that's able to make it to the end. Well, on that note. We will see you all in a week's time. See you next week, folks.